Well, hey, Merry Christmas. Do me a favor. If you have your Bibles, can you open them up to Matthew chapter 2? We're going to be in that text this morning, and we have people coming down the aisles right now that if you don't have a Bible, uh, just raise your hand and we'll get you one. And uh, if you don't own a Bible, please take that as an early Christmas gift. We would just love it if everyone here could say, man, I have a Bible at home. So please keep that as our gift to you. And um, Matthew 2, starting at verse 1. And I want to start off this morning by just saying thank you. Um, I acknowledge that these moments right around Christmas time are really precious moments with friends and family and loved ones. And uh, we are honored that you have taken time to celebrate the birth of Jesus with us. Thank you for being here. And um, I just need to say this. I love Christmas. Like these next 24 to 48 hours, I love it. It's my favorite time of the year. And I am here for all of it. Um, I love the anticipation, the looking forward to Christmas morning. I love the goofy family traditions that each family has. Um, I remember six or seven years ago when our kids were like six, four, and two, we thought it would be a great idea to be like, man, wouldn't it be a cool family tradition if on Christmas Eve night, our kids did a sleepover in our room and they spent the night on our floor. And now six or seven years later, I've got these massive humans on our floor and mistakes were made, right? We're hoping they get sick of us here pretty soon, but we're still down for it. We will have our kids on our floor tonight because I just love Christmas. I love giving gifts. I love receiving gifts. I, I love family. I just love that feeling how like, even if it's just for a couple days, everything stops. And it's like, I can breathe. I love being here. I love how this time draws our hearts to the reality that we have a savior who came to earth. And I know that most of us, when we think of Christmas Eve, we have this picture of the nativity, right? You've got the angels, you've got Mary and Joseph in the stable, you've got baby Jesus in the manger and you have shepherds and sheep worshiping there. And what I wanna do today is I wanna focus on a different group of Christmas characters and I wanna laser our focus in specifically on the wise men. And we read about them in Matthew two. So if you have your Bibles open, follow along as I read. Here's what it says. It says, now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? So, for we saw his star when it rose, and we have come to worship him. And when Herod the king heard this, he was troubled, and all of Jerusalem with him. And assembling all of the chief priests and the scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. And they told him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for so it was written by the prophet, And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah are by no means least amongst the rulers of Judah. For from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod summoned the wise men secretly and ascertained from them what time the star had appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem saying, go and search diligently for the child. And when you have found him, bring me word that I too may come and worship him. And after listening to the king, they went on their way. And behold, the star that they had seen when it rose went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. And when they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they fell down and they worshiped him. Then opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed to their own country by another way. 
So what I want to do in just a few minutes we have together this morning is I want to look at three lessons or three realities this story teaches us about Jesus and about Christmas. Here's the first, it's this. Jesus invites outsiders into relationship. That Jesus has always been in the business of inviting outsiders in. And I think out of all of the characters in the Christmas story, not including Jesus, the wise men are my favorite. And here's why. I love how mysterious these men are. Like who were these men? We really don't know. How many of them were there? Right In our minds, we picture three wise men because they gave Jesus three gifts, but in all likelihood, there was probably many more. 15, 20, 50. How many of them showed up at Mary's home? How did they know how to follow this star? What did they do after they saw Jesus? What happened to them? What did the rest of their lives look like after encountering the Messiah? Church, look at me. These men don't fit in this story. They're outsiders. They are not God's people. They are not from God's promised nation. These men are foreigners. They had no business being in Israel. They had no business upending their lives, putting themselves in harm's way to make a journey. But they did it because Jesus had come to earth. And they had to get to Jesus. Again, we don't know much about these men. We know they were most likely not kings. But in fact, they were most likely astronomers or scribes or lawyers. We also know that they were from the East. And what most biblical scholars believe is that they were from Babylon in the Persian Empire. And there's a reason people believe this. And here's why. Because there was a Jewish prophet in the Old Testament named Daniel. And he lived his entire life, basically. He was brought into captivity as a young child into Babylon. And he lived his adult life and he did his ministry of prophecy in Babylon in captivity. And Daniel made very specific prophecies about Jesus Christ. Did you know that in Daniel 9, he makes this prophecy that says, hey, in exactly 483 years after the decree is given for Jerusalem to be rebuilt, the Messiah will enter Jerusalem. And biblical scholars and historians have gone back and they've done the math. And exactly 483 years after the Persian king Artaxerxes made a decree to rebuild Jerusalem that falls exactly on Palm Sunday when Jesus entered the city riding on a donkey preparing to go to the cross. Doesn't that give you chills? Hey, church, God keeps his promises. Right, so the best working theory is that these men were in Babylon. And one of the cool things about Daniel is he was such a good servant of the king. He was brought into the king's court and he had so much integrity that Daniel was made to be head of the Magi. And so our best working theory is that these men were Magi and they were studying the work of Daniel hundreds of years before and they wouldn't have known exactly when Jesus would have been born, but they knew they were in the window where it could possibly happen. And they were paying attention, they were watching, they were looking, and then all of a sudden they see this star. Like, can I ask you a question? What's up with the star? How did they see the star? How did they know that this was pointing to Jesus? Again, we can't be sure, but here's what I believe. I believe these men saw a new star in the sky and it made them remember another prophecy about Jesus from the Old Testament. In Numbers, 27, or Numbers 24, 17, we are told this, 
It says, I see him, but not now. I behold him, but not near. A star shall come out of Jacob and a scepter shall rise out of Israel. I believe these men saw this star. It reminded them of this prophecy and they knew that God was making it known to all of creation that the hope for humanity was born. He was here. But there's another thing happening with these wise men that's beautiful. And to understand this, you need to go all the way back to Genesis 3. Do you remember when Adam and Eve sinned? One of the consequences of their sin was that they could no longer walk with the presence of God. They were removed. Sin removed them from God's presence. So God locked up the garden and he sent Adam and Eve out east. And being sent out east was this picture of being sent away from where God was, from his glory, from his presence. And so what you see with these men mysteriously appearing from the east to worship Jesus, you see what God is doing is at the birth of Jesus, the Messiah, God is reconciling man back to himself. That we who have been driven away from God's presence because of our sin could once again know God, be reconciled to God and have a relationship and worship him because of his son. God is bringing those who are outside back to himself. And then they brought him gifts. And church, you need to understand these gifts don't fit this story. Mary and Joseph were a young, working class, newly married couple, and they're given gold, frankincense, and myrrh. What are they supposed to do with these gifts? They don't fit. They didn't get a pack in play. They didn't get a cradle. They got these gifts. It's like, what are we supposed to do? But you know what? They gave Jesus gifts that rightly recognized who he was. They gave him gold to recognize that he is royalty, that he is a king. They gave him frankincense, which was used by priests when they made sacrifices to God. It is signifying that Jesus is our great high priest, that he is the one who will mediate between man and God. And they gave him myrrh, which is used in a death ceremony and involvement, saying that through his death, we would receive life. These men were outsiders. They were the first Gentiles to worship Jesus as Lord. And at his birth, Jesus is drawing outsiders in and he would do this throughout the rest of his earthly ministry. Think about the disciples. Think about his crew that he chose to hang out with. They weren't the smartest. They weren't the most powerful. They weren't the elite. They were young fishermen and tax collectors. They were young, unproven, raw guys who would let him down, who wouldn't get it over and over and over again. He chose to hang with guys you wouldn't choose to hang out with, right? When he would go into villages, the sick were drawn to him. The ones that the rest of society didn't want to have anything to do with, the, the, the lepers, the, the ones with sketchy backgrounds, the sinners, they were drawn to him and he loved them and he celebrated with them and he was friends with sinners. When he taught, Jesus had this ability to elevate outsiders. Right back in a time where children were kind of seen as a nuisance and didn't have a ton of value, Jesus said, hey, bring the children to me. Hey, if you want to enter the kingdom of God, you need to have faith like a child, right? There was this nation right next to Israel called Samaria and the Samaritans, they were half Jew, half Canaanite. And there was a lot of racial tension between the Jews and the Samaritans. The Jews viewed them as less than themselves, as half breeds. And Jesus would elevate the Samaritans in his parables saying, no, no, there is a place for them in my kingdom. 
Jesus loves drawing outsiders into relationship with him and giving them value, worth, dignity, and purpose. And church, I need you to hear this. For sure, in a room like this today, some of us feel like outsiders this Christmas. Maybe some of that feels like loneliness. Maybe you're here and your heart is burdened and there's grief and there's pain because you're remembering a holiday and you're celebrating with, without someone that you loved because they're no longer here. Maybe today is a day of both the tension of great joy and great sorrow. Maybe you're here and you're like, man, I just don't know where I fit in my life. I'm with my family and my brothers and sisters and mom and dad, they seem to have everything figured out and life's not moving at the same speed for me. And I don't know who my community is. I don't know who my family is. I don't know where I fit. I feel like I'm all alone. For others, maybe it's conflict. Maybe these next couple of days are gonna be a painful reminder of relationships that are broken. Maybe it's shame. Maybe you're here and you're like, man, I am not convinced God wants me in his house celebrating the birth of his son. Because if I could be honest, my 2023, not only my 2023, most of my life hasn't lived up to my own expectations, let alone the Lord's. And you come and you feel ashamed and you feel dirty and you feel like, man, I have been living in the darkness and I'm not sure that I am worthy to be here and worship Jesus. Well, church, here's what I believe with all of my heart. Do you know that Jesus is a father to the orphan? That he is a husband to the widow? That he is a friend who is closer than a brother? And with all my heart, I believe that the thing your heart is longing for, Jesus will provide it for you and he will give it to you freely. He brings outsiders in. Okay, the next lesson we learn through this story is that Jesus comes with a threat. Jesus comes bringing a threat, right? So there's another king in this story. His name is Herod. And when he uh, finds out about Jesus, when the wise men show up looking to worship this king, he's not thrilled about it, but it says that he's troubled. And here's why. Because Jesus is always going to be a threat to our selfish ambition, right? Herod's the king. And when he hears that there's another king, all of a sudden his throne is under threat. And he is concerned about his status his throne, his power, his authority, his ruling, and he gets into defensive mode. And he's like, I gotta find out who this kid is and I gotta find out what this threat is because no one's taking me off of my throne. He perceived Jesus as a threat. And church, you need to hear this. Jesus comes with a threat because the thing about Jesus is he comes to us with a kingdom and he demands that his kingdom takes priority over ours. In Matthew 6, he's teaching his disciples how to pray. And he says, pray like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. He demands that we elevate the kingdom of God higher than our own. Church, look at me. The reason most people will never accept Jesus is selfish ambition because we have this thing in our heart where we want to be the judge and arbiter over what is right and wrong for our life. 
our wisdom, our intelligent. We want to set the course. We want to set the rules. We want to do what we think is best and what we think is right. And when a king comes and says, hey, you need to worship me as Lord and King, there's something in our heart that rebels against that. And by the way, I would argue all of us are at our worst when we are obsessing over our own kingdoms. Selfish ambition always brings out the worst in us, right? From the kid freaking out on Christmas morning because he didn't get the toy that he want. I pray that that's none of you this Christmas, right? It's an ugly look, right? From the family member who is comfortable throwing a fit and manipulating everyone to get exactly what they want, to the parents who are just really hoping that a great Christmas gift will paper over the cracks of the massive issues in their family that they're not dealing with. When we live under our own selfish ambition, we destroy the lives around us and things get ugly. Jesus is inviting us into his kingdom and it's an eternal kingdom that is good, that is just, that will cause us to flourish. We just have to be okay with not being king. He is. Following Jesus demands that we live life through the lens of, hey God, how can I glorify you today? You have saved me, you have redeemed me, you have loved me, you have sent your son. How do I live to make your name known? How do I honor you in my marriage? How do I honor you as I father my children, as I raise kids who you love and who you have called to yourself, as I work, as I interact with my neighbors and friends and coworkers? It can't just be about us. We have to die to the idol of people pleasing and being the center of our universe. He threatens our selfish ambition, but here's the thing. He also threatens our apathy. So there's something that really bothers me about this story, right? So you have these wise men, they show up and they go to King Herod and they're like, hey, Herod, the Messiah's here. He's been born. And Herod gets all concerned and he gathers all of the chief priests and scribes and he's like, hey, where is this Jesus? Where is he going to be born? And the scribes and chief priests are like, oh, he'll be born in Bethlehem. You read about it in verse four. Okay, here's what drives me crazy. Why didn't they go to see if Jesus had been born? Like, where are the religious leaders in this story? They had the same prophecies. They had the writings of Daniel. They would have known that they were in the window of this promised Messiah. And then men show up from another country saying he's here. And rather than be like, oh man, we got to go and we got to see and we got to worship, hope has come. They do nothing. They're just like, yeah, we know where he's going to be born, but whatever. They don't show up. They don't go. They don't worship. They don't care. They were so content with their traditions, their routines, and their system of life that Jesus had come. God had been made flesh, and they don't even bother to go see it. But not the wise men. Look at verse 10. I love this. It says, when they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. They rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. That's the Bible saying they were super pumped like four times in one sentence. And going into the house, they saw the child Mary with his mother and they fell down and they worshiped him. Here's what I love about the wise men. They got the main thing right. They saw Jesus. They were ecstatic and they fell down and they worshiped him. Listen, we are going to fall into one of these two camps. 
We are going to be like the religious leaders this Christmas, and we are going to be consumed with all of the things around Christmas that don't last, that don't matter, which won't mean anything in a year from now, or we are going to fall into the camp of the wise men, and we are going to get on our knees and see that we have been saved, and our hearts will rejoice exceedingly. How is your heart this morning? Is apathy creeping in? Or can you honestly say, man, what I am most excited about this Christmas, it's not the break, it's not the holiday, it's not the family, it's not the gifts, it's that I have Jesus Christ. Here's the last thing I want us to see this morning, it's this, it's that Christmas is a story about movement. If I could sum up Christmas, I would say more than anything, it's a story about movement. And here's what I love about Christmas, how dynamic it is. It means no one's static. There is movement all over this story. Think about it. Mary and Joseph, they travel across Israel while Mary is with child. They can't find a a room in the village to even stay. So they've got to like search and they're looking and they find this stable where Jesus is born. Then God sends angels from heaven to earth to shepherds to proclaim and announce his arrival. And then the shepherds, they rush to the manger to worship Jesus. You have wise men traveling from the east to worship Jesus. You have Mary and Joseph fleeing from their lives in the very next chapter to flee from Herod who wants this child dead. Everyone is moving. Motion is a central theme to this story. And here's why. Because just like the wise men traveled great lengths and gave great gifts to worship Jesus, Christmas is the story about how God has moved great lengths and gave us the greatest gift the world has ever known. He's given us himself, Jesus Christ. And church, hear me. The story of Christmas demands that we move as well. And here's what I mean. I wanna get very specific. Some in here, you need to move towards God in faith. And let me explain exactly what I mean when I say that. When I say that you need to put your faith in Jesus, all I'm saying is is you need to acknowledge the reality of who he is and you need to worship him as Lord and King. Church, give me your eyes. We are not in the business of believing in fairy tales. But our faith is rooted in the reality of fulfilled prophecy It is faithful to the historical record and eyewitness testimony, and it stands on the back of thousands of years of transformed lives. Jesus is king. He has come. He was born to a virgin. He lived a perfect life. He died on the cross, paying the penalty for our sin, and then he rose again, defeating death and sin. He ascended into heaven, and he will return because he is Lord. I'm asking you to put your faith in Jesus and acknowledge what is real. It's funny. There's always talk in church world about how do we give Jesus a facelift? Do do we need to update the story? How, How do we make Jesus relevant? This is something that people in church are always so worried about, and I can never understand it. Here's why. Because there has been nothing more relevant in the history of the universe than Jesus Christ and the story of salvation. It is the thing that everything was created on. It is the thing that holds all things together. A light has shone in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. So here's what I wanna do as we close. I wanna close by giving us a testimony 
we're going to show a video. And what I want to do with this video is I want to make it crystal clear to everyone in here that God is still moving, that God is still drawing people to himself, and that his light is still blindingly bright. Check out this video. <laughs> 